Okay, that you can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Y'all, we, we know how to say it like that here in the South, don't we? Uh, uh, okay, uh, that's we're gonna make that a title this morning for this morning's message. All right, we we. How many of you like movies? Y'all like movies? I like movies. The rest of you don't. We like movies. God kind of wired us that way. We like seeing the whole story, and you you get a whole lot of the story by seeing things uh, that you don't get by telling something. Except for my friend, I got a friend that he told me one night. He came home late from work, had a long day, got home late. His wife had tried to keep, you know, dinner as warm as she could. And so he sat down. Boys had already eaten. They were in bed. So it was just him and her. They sat down. She had watched an old episode, a rerun of Little House on the Prairie. One hour episode, right? Y'all know Little House on the Prairie. Take out the commercials, about 45 minutes worth of story, right? He said it took her an hour and a half to tell a 45-minute episode of Little House on the Prairie. And, you know, and the reason is because... She was the kind of person that, that, you know, she would say, and when that little girl came in the room, she had on this red dress, you know, and it had these little bows and it had all this stuff, and her mom had fixed it all like this, and she would tell all those little details. Well, you know what? Those were details on the screen, you know, and so, yeah, she was the kind of lady that could turn anything into a lot longer, but that's, that's the way things are. I mean, when you see a picture, there's so many things. If you try to describe them, it takes you so long, and we, we like to see that whole picture. We, we like to get all the details. We really don't want somebody just talking to us all the time about it. And uh, that's why we're, we're told as public speakers, preachers, you know, and uh, secular speakers as well, is try to do as much as you can without just having to say it. Like last week, you know, we had the stones up here, you know, uh, and, you know, getting down to our foundation. We, you know, had a video to kind of illustrate some of that this morning um, because we like that. And here, here's kind of my thought about this, is God is an amazing storyteller. And the Old Testament is full of true stories that um, he gives detail to. Sometimes, I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm reading the stories in the Old Testament. And I see a little detail that's in there, and I think, that's almost like she had on a red dress, and she, you know, it's like, God, why did you put that in there? And then you keep reading. Or you think back on it later, and you realize, oh, wait a minute. God was telling me something about that one little detail. God is an amazing storyteller. And so when he, you know, and all these stories that we have in the Old Testament, how he ministered, how he took care of things and did things. And I believe sometimes even God just, God kind of manipulates things in the story. He kind of just moves people over or does something a little different because he needs to teach us something. I think sometimes he even looked, looked ahead and saw me and said, Rick Hand is going to need this one day as I'm going to do it like this. So I don't know about you, but I believe God does that kind of a thing. I believe he does that kind of thing for me. He wants me to know the whole story, and so he gives it to us. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, talk a little bit about finding Bubba. You got to find Bubba, okay? Because there's a there's a story in the Bible very similar to that. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in your presence this morning. God, what a sweet spirit here, God, and and just all the good things that you're doing, Lord. Thank you for healings, God, and lots of people that have been sick. God now healed, and and God uh, healing miracles also. God, we're hearing from as People going to doctors and, and getting cleared, God. Uh, uh, marriages, Lord, being saved. Again, God, so many great things, and just thank you for that. And Lord, now, God, we're, we're not here this morning. This is not your purpose this morning for us to come and just have something else given to us. But God, we're here to, to, to hear your challenge. You've got a challenge for us this morning. God, help us be up to it, up to the task, up to accepting the challenge of what you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... 
Okay, thought I'd get a little bit more if I pushed it to two. Okay, so I, I want to tell you about a guy, a guy in the Bible that he had to find Bubba. Okay, the story is in Genesis chapter fourteen, and uh, it, it kind of begins where it says there were four kings against five kings. Now, normally you would say, okay, the five kings are going to win, right? You know, normally four armies against five armies. Five armies are going to win. But the four armies were stronger than the five armies. Now, here's some background, a little bit of detail, is that the, in these five kings, uh, there was the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you might remember them. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot lived there, and God had to destroy it because of its evil wickedness. You remember, remember that? Uh, God destroyed the whole city. The whole city was vile and corrupt, and God destroyed it. Those two kings, they, their cities served kings of, of other lands because the other kings had come in and overrun them, overtaken them. They served them for many years, and then finally they decided, we're not going to do this anymore, so they rebelled. And so when they rebelled, then the kings that they had been serving, they went and got three buddies. The king they were serving, he went and got three buddies, so now he's got four armies. And he's marching against Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah, they'll get three buddies. Now they've got five, so we got four armies against five armies, and they meet. They come together in the Valley of Siddim. And, and, and the, the Word of God says in, in, in the Valley of Siddim there are tar pits. You know, and I don't know what those are. I've kind of seen pictures of the ones in, in California, so I guess that's what it's talking about. And so there are tar pits in this valley. And so when the four armies begin whipping the other five armies, you know, they start killing a lot of the, a lot of the warriors then a lot of them start running to try to get away. And as they're running, some of them, because they're wounded, they fall in the tar pits. Others just running so fast, they, they don't see the tar pits. They fall and they begin to die in the tar pits. And the ones that get away, they get away by running to the hills. They're in this valley and they have to run all the way to the hills. I mean, they got to get all the way out of the valley, climb a hill, get up you know, in a cave behind a rock or something. That is the only escape they have. And so as, as the four armies are defeating the five armies, and the other armies are running away. Now, these four armies, they start taking the stuff you know, that, that, that these people have left behind. They start taking all their possessions. They start taking uh, all their goods. If, if, you know, if somebody had a, you know, a bag of money, silver, gold, something, left it there. They took that. They took their food, maybe their animals. If they had a horse, they took their horse. They took all their things. And then they also took people captive. And one of the people they took captive was Lot. This guy I mentioned a few moments ago that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, they took Lot. He was taken prisoner of war. He was taken prisoner of war, and then all of his stuff was taken from him as well. Now, if you think about all the stuff, think about all the stuff that you have. The Word of God tells us that there's, there, there is nothing that we have that wasn't given to us by the giver, you know, that every good thing comes from, from heaven. All good things come down from him. And so everything we get is like that. And then when it's taken from us, those are like our blessings, our blessings. So Lot had all of his blessings taken from him. He was also taken prisoner of war. He lost his freedom. He lost his liberty. All of that, everything's gone. He, you know, everything about him. And then there were others taken as well. And so, so this is the place where Lot finds himself. Now, Lot had chosen to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he, he, had to, he, had, he must have had a really good real estate agent because she talked to him. If you remember what Sodom and Gomorrah looked like, I mean, you'd have to have a, a really good real estate agent talk you into buying in Sodom and Gomorrah. He must have had an awesome one because she talked him into it, I guess. So he's, he's living in Sodom and Gomorrah, his chosen city, his chosen community. And what happens? They rebel. Now, we don't know that he rebelled. He might have thought, hey, things are going pretty good under these other two kings. Let's serve them instead of serving the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah because they're actually, we don't know. As far as we know, he didn't rebel. We don't even know that he fought in the battle. We don't know that he did anything about this. But the only thing we really know is that 
He's some, at some point, he gets caught up in all this, and he gets swept up in all this in the middle of the rebellion, in the middle of the battle, in the middle of, uh, of the prisoners of war. He gets, he gets caught up, swept up in all of this, and now he's lost everything, and now he's, he's a prisoner of war himself. He's lost all of his, he's lost his land, he's lost everything. So i got a question for you right here. If you continue to follow the friends that you have right now, where will you end up? Have you ever asked that question? You know, Lot should have asked that question. When he was thinking about moving to Sodom and Gomorrah, he should have thought, if I go down here, what's going to be the end result? And you know what? This wasn't even the end result, if you know that other story. There's another one coming. I mean, you know, he just had all kinds of problems because he moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, when he moved there, there now he starts making relationships. He starts making friends. You know, he and some you know, people across the street, they have, you know, they have little boys and they take them to the same you know, t-ball games or whatever. You know, they make relationships, right? You know, I, I don't know what kind of business he was in. Somebody after the ser- first service this morning told me, well, he probably started big lots. Uh, and uh, they told me that I didn't have to tell them who said that. I said, you don't want me to tell them who came up with that, do you? And so that's one of those. I, just, I don't really know what his business was, but he made business relationships. Okay, he, he, he did this, so he started making relationships, business relationships. He, he started getting to know one another, different people in town. And then when the rebellion took place, oh man, he might not have wanted to be in it, but he was in it because that's who he was tied to. And when the war took place, he was in it because that's who he was tied to. And when they were all carried away, the, the survivors were carried away as prisoner, he too, because, so, so it's a question you need to ask, is you need to think, the relationships that I have and the people that I'm close to and the friends that I have chosen that are in my life. If I continue to follow them, where will I end up? Now, one person, at least, got away from this war. And he returned back. He escaped, and he returns back, and he goes to find Abram. Now, Abram is Lot's uncle, okay? And, and, and Abram, he, he, his name is changed a little after this story to Abraham. Okay, so if you've heard of Abraham or Abram, they're the same person. His name was changed. So Abram at this time, so-called Abram, he, he's the guy, you know, that God was bringing Israel from. I mean, he said, Israel is going to come out of your loins. You are going to birth this huge nation. And, and, and by, by Israel, all nations are going to be blessed because of them. Okay, so, so this is a pretty important guy, and he's a guy that, I mean, God spoke to him. God talked to him. You know, uh, he talked to him, and, and Abram talked back to him, and God sent angels to Abram. To, I mean, so Abram's a guy that, man, you really want him in your corner, you know? And if, you, if you're going into a fight, you want him in your corner. If you need something from God, you want him in your corner. So, so, so this, this guy that escaped, he goes back to Abram, and he starts telling Abram, here's what's happened. You know, and Abram is nowhere near Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not involved in this. He goes and tells Abram. So this guy didn't go home. This guy went and found Abram. And he said, Abram, i got to tell you. And he said, and your nephew Lot's been taken as well. So you know what, what Abram had to do? In this story, Abram is Forrest and Lot is Bubba. Okay, now before you get all upset with me of calling Lot Bubba, he could probably call him Bubba or at least the Hebrew equivalent of what Bubba was, you know? bouncing him on his knee when he was a little, little boy, you know, his little nephew, and say, oh, hey, Bubba, come on, we're going to go play ball. We're going to do all this kind of stuff or whatever. He probably called him. He could have called him something like that. So let's, he's Bubba today, okay? And you know what Abram did? Abram immediately said, we got to go find Bubba. 
He said, I got to go find Bubba. So let's go to verse 14 of Genesis chapter 14. And we'll read some of the story here now. And we're going uh, we're gonna to read all of this. So don't, don't get ahead of me a little bit because uh, I got to stop here and, and preach a little bit of this. It says, when Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 300. He mobilized. 318 men, trained men. He mobilized. You know what mobilized means? It means he didn't sit still. Sometimes, you got to hear this, sometimes you have to fight. And I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Sometimes prayer is not enough. I didn't say prayer wasn't important. But sometimes you got to say, amen, get up off your knees, and you got to gird your loins and go to battle. You know, for those of you who have children, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have teenage children, you know, you never get, you never ungird your loins. I mean, you got them girded all the time. I mean, you're, you're just constantly ready for battle. You know what's going to happen. You know that either they're bringing home a battle or somebody's bringing a battle into their life. I mean, that's the way it is. And, and sometimes prayer is not enough. You don't get to just sit on your rear end all the time and say, God, here's what I need. Fix it, God, and give it to me. Sometimes you've got to get up and you've got to do the work. And Abraham, Abram, he mobilized. He didn't sit still. He mobilized. He said, I've got to get busy. I've got to get something done. I've got to find Bubba. And who did he mobilize? 318 trained men. Now, these were trained men. They were, uh, obviously, if they were trained, that meant they were armed. I mean, you wouldn't just train men. You would arm them as well. They were armed. They were trained. They were ready. They were prepared before the battle. Man, this is, this is the kind of friends you need, right? I mean, you need a guy who is already prepared, not just for his own battles, but prepared for your battles. That's who Abram was, man. Abram was a guy who was not just prepared for the battles he would face. He was prepared for the battles that people around him would face so that he could help them. That's who these people were. He had trained 318. You know how I know he trained them? He says, trained men who had been born into his household. He had a huge household. He had servants. And those servants had a lot of children as well. And so all these children that he had, and all these children of his servants, rather, that he had, 318 of them were trained of his own household. Of his own household. Those that were closest to him. He didn't have to go call, oh man, what am I going to do? He already, had, he already had connections. He had already developed and trained. There are people, I believe God ordains connections. Now, all of your connections aren't God-ordained. Lot had a bunch of them in Sodom and Gomorrah that were not. But this one with Abram was, you have some God-ordained connections and relationships. Abram saw his, these 300, and he trained them. He nurtured it. He developed the relationship with these 318. You need to find the ones that are the God-ordained ones in your life, and you need to start developing them. You need to start growing them. In his own household, he had 318 trained men, and he mobilized them. He gathered them together and said, and they pursued Kedolomar's army until he caught up with them at Dan. He pursued and caught up. You know, I, I, there are a lot of people that are into pursuit, but they don't want to catch anything. It's like they, they're into pursuing God. Let's chase God, but oh, let's don't catch God. You know, kind of like that, you, you ever heard some, that little, little old thing about a dog? You know, why does a dog chase a fire truck? He wouldn't know what to do with it if he caught it, you know? And in the same way, you know, that's the way a lot of us are about God, is we chase God, but we know if I catch God, I don't think I can handle it, so I'm just, I'm not going to chase Him and pursue Him enough that I can actually catch God or that I actually get there. 
I just kind of go through the motions of chasing God a little bit. And, and that's the reason so many of us, our lives are still a mess. Is we're just kind of going through the motions of chasing, and we've not made up our mind. Abram made up his mind. We're not going to chase after them. We're not going to just chase. We are going to catch up because I have to find Bubba. You know, the chase was not what was important. It was the catching that was important. Did you get in this? It's not the chase. It's the catching that is important. I've got to get a hold of God, and I've got to get a hold of this thing in my life. It's not enough to go through the motions. I don't want to just do some of the things that people who are raising great kids do. I don't want to just do some of those things. I want to catch this and raise great kids. I don't want to just do some of the things that people around me that have great marriages do. I want to have a great marriage. And I'm, cho I'm choosing not to just go on a search. I'm choosing to catch it. I'm going to chase it down. I'm going to catch up to it. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to possess it. I'm going to hold it. And we said this is exactly what he did. Because he went all the way. He, he pursued him and he found him. He caught him. And he divided his forces against them by night. See what he did? He deployed. If you like military stuff, I mean, that's what he's talking about doing. He, divide, he deployed his forces. He said, okay, you guys, you go this direction and you do so. And you guys, and then we're going over here and then we're all going to end at this certain time. And he was deploying his forces. You know, he was sending Sounds pretty organized to me, doesn't it? Oh, I know, I know some of you just checked out. Y'all hate organization. You know, hate organized people or whatever. It had to be organized. Okay, let me give you a different word besides organization. Let me tell you that everything that he did up to this point was like this, okay? Because he mobilized. He had already trained them way before then. He got the people that he knew would be by his side, his 318 out of his family. You know, he, he decided we're not just chasing. We're going to go get that. We are going to catch up to them because I've got to find Bubba. You know, and, and, and they get there, and then he deploys his force. Everything he did up to this point was purposeful. Purposeful. Do you do things purposeful? You know, again, so many, some, so many of us, the reason our lives are still a mess is we're not doing anything purposeful. We just kind of show up on Sunday morning. We just kind of do the thing. You know, imagine it, you need a job, and some of, you, some of you need a different job. You're looking for a different, or you look, need a better job. Uh, or you need a, uh, some of you just need a job. We still got some men in our church that aren't working. They, they can't find a job. And you know what? It would be foolish of you to go home and type out a letter and, and, and print a whole bunch of copies and spend the money to print a whole bunch of copies and fold them and put them in an envelope and buy the postage sticker and just send them to everybody in Mount Olive and say, okay, God, now I've done my part. You got to get me a job now. I mean, that would be foolish. You wouldn't do that. You'd be wasting a lot of money and time but you'd be purposeful about getting it, right? You're purposeful. That's the way Abram would be, purposeful. He, he didn't just say, God, you know my needs. Here it is, God. Hope that you bring Lot back home. He said, no, God has enabled me. He has put some things in my power to be able to handle, and the praying time is over. I got to say amen. I got to get up, and purposely, I'm going to get Lot back. I got to get him back. It was purposeful. And so, so uh, uh, they, they, he deployed his people uh, divided his forces, he and his servants, and defeated them. You got to see that. He defeated them. He caught, and I can just imagine. I don't know what happened. Obviously, he's probably not 318 men plus him, 319. They're probably not facing all four armies. Who knows? I, I, it could be, but that's not what's told here. 
But whoever has Lot is who they catch up with. And probably they catch them off guard because they're thinking, man, we've whipped everybody. We've whipped four armies. There's nobody left. They're probably not even thinking about another battle. And they sneak up and they, they overtake them and they defeat them. Okay, I want you to get this. They conquer them. They whip them. All right, it's over. It's done. Or, or, or is it? And they defeated them and pursued them as far as... Pursued them. Wait a minute, they're already defeated. He's already whipped them. No doubt he's probably already got, he's probably already got the, the, the ropes or the chains off of Lot, and he's probably already rescued him. But he's relentless. Okay, somebody, come on. You need to get relentless. You want some things in your life to turn, to turn around? You want some things in your life to begin to be what they're supposed to be? Then you need to get relentless. You know, because, because doing this for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday is not going to get you there. You need to be relentless. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you need to be relentless that I still need what I said I needed yesterday. What I told God on Sunday morning that I, I still need it today. And so if you still need it tomorrow, you need to be relentless. And on Tuesday, when the problems start coming and the boss is cussing you out and, and the, the letters are coming home from, from the school about your kids or your kids are getting in trouble or they're getting arrested or you get the bills and there's too many bills and not enough money and all that, you've got to be relentless every single day of the week. And here's what Abram did. No doubt what had happened is as they, as they beat them, as they defeated them, they took off running and probably some of them had some of, maybe some of Lot's money in his hand. Or somebody might have been running off with one of Lot's animals, a, a goat, a horse, or something. And Abram said, no, we're going to get every single bit of it back. So they didn't just defeat him. They defeated him. They chased him down, and they got every single thing back. Because look right here. It says, Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken. And he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and the other captives. That's why he chased him down, because it wasn't enough to just get Lot back. He had to get everything. Now, if I were, if I were the, the writer of this, I... You know, I thought I, I, I would have written that last verse right there differently. You know, I, I don't know why God, we, we believe that Moses penned this. And I don't know why God had Moses pen it this way, but I would have said he got all the possessions, he got all the goods, got all the animals, all that kind of stuff. He got the women, he got the other captives, and he got Lot too. Because Lot was the thing. I mean, I got to get Bub. I got to find Bub. I got to get him back. I mean, this was the thing. But you know, if really when I went looking for a clip to use this morning to, to kick off the sermon, I was wanting to use the one where he went in and got Bubba. And we, we actually stopped before he goes and gets Bubba. We actually stopped showing that. If you hadn't seen the movie, he gets Bubba, okay. He gets Bubba out. He gets to talk to Bubba one more time. So, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't even, the, you know what was happening? What was happening? Forrest kept going back in. And even though he was, I'm getting Bubba out of here. But as he went in, there were so many others. He got Lot, he got the possessions, but there were also some women and some other captives that he got back as well. He didn't just go get Lot, but he got it all. And he got all these others. And, 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 I, and I began thinking about this, of all the women and the other captives, all the other women, who, who are these women? And other, I thought about the innocents. Those innocent ones, uh, the women that were not part of the rebellion, they were not part of the fight, but they were taken captive. The innocent ones. The, the ones that didn't, didn't have a part in that. And so he went and got there. And that's what, that's what Forrest kept doing. He kept going in and getting, getting uh, oh, my friend is Bubba. But there's a whole lot more i got to get as well. Man, let me tell you something. Abram was an amazing man. I believe, I believe we all need an Abram in our life. 
So let me ask you a second question. Is there an Abram in your life? Is there? You know, there he is. I believe God ordains relationships and connections. And I believe God has put an Abram in your life. Someone that you can count on. Someone that has this kind of an attitude like we've seen in Abram. That kind of attitude that was in force. I got a fine Baba. We've all got people like that. But you know what happens to us? We sever the ties too quickly. We, we, we cut them off. We, we decide there's, there's something more important. For example, you know, I, I just imagine that when Abram got Lot and they all got back to the hometown, I just imagine Lot, Abram said, now Bubba, we need to talk about this. You keep getting yourself in trouble and I keep having to bail you out. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to bail him out again the next time. But I believe that, you know, Abram's kind of getting tired of Lot just being the juvenile, you know, that he is. You know, it's time for you to grow up, buddy. Do you not believe that Abram does this? Do you not believe that Abram eventually says, come on, Lot, figure it out. Do you not believe that he does this? I believe that he does this. And, you know, I, I said in the early service, I'll say it again here, I don't believe Lot was the sharpest knife in the drawer. I, you know, just look at things. He made some bad decisions, did some foolish stuff. And so I don't think he was the sharpest knife in the world. But let me tell you, I'll give him credit for one thing, that when Abraham, when Abram did tell him, Lot, man, you're messing yourself up. You know what Lot didn't do? He didn't cut off that relationship with Abram. He realized, wait a minute, this guy is my hero. He's my Forrest Gump. This was 2,000 years, or 3,000 years before this, that was written. And that movie was made. This is my hero. And, and I need him in my life. And so Abram is saying, you need to start doing this. You need to quit doing this. You need to break relationships with these people and you need to start making some better. He didn't cut that off. But that's what we do. I mean, somebody pours into our life, somebody blesses us, somebody... And then, then when they start saying, hey, you know, man, I'm always pulling your rear end out of the fire. Do you think you could help me out on this and not get me into so many fires? Somebody starts telling us to do that. What, what all of a sudden? Man, they're messing with my life. They think they own me now. What? Well, let me tell you something. When someone sacrifices some of their life for you, they have the right. They have the right to say, wait a minute, Bubba. Let me tell you, they have more than the right. They have the God-given responsibility to say, let's talk, Bubba. You keep getting yourself in messes because you're not following God. They have the responsibility. Sometimes they have the responsibility. Sometimes say the hard things. The Abram's in your life. And so what you need to do is you need to honor and respect the Abrams in your life. And instead of saying, well, they're just getting a little too busybody for me. No, you need to honor and respect that. Those that are there and those that lift you up, encourage you, build you up, strengthen you, pull you out of the fire, rescue you when you've messed up. Sometimes write a check to get you through something. You need to respect those Abrams. You know, I was thinking, you know, you grab one of these, grab another one of these uh, Krispy Kreme donut slips that the missions team is using to, you know, and, buy, and say, well, I'm going to buy some for my Abram today. Now, listen, I, uh, I've already had somebody buy me some, so I'm not asking. I'm, this, this wasn't an advertisement for me, okay? I'm not saying for me, okay? I'm, I'm going to buy a couple of dozen myself, and somebody already has given me some, so I, I'm not asking for that. I'm saying, but do something. You know, when someone pours into you, honor that. And accept their advice. And don't just say, hey, I, no, listen, buddy. I just need you to save me. I don't need you to preach to me. 
No, you need, you need to embrace that. But here's an even greater question. Are you the Abram in somebody else's life? I believe God has ordained some connections, some relationships in your life, and you're supposed to be the Abram. That's not the question I was asking. Are there some relationships that you're supposed to be? No, the question is, are you? Because you are supposed to be. And you may be a Bubba with an Abram, and then you're the Abram to another Bubba in a different relationship. I think most of us are that way. We've got people that are constantly helping us pull ourselves out of the fire, and then we're reaching down and we're helping somebody else that keeps messing up. So are you doing it? I see that because that's really the question. It's not, have you been called? The question is, are you doing it? Are you taking what somebody is blessing you with and just turning it around and giving it to somebody else? God has called you. He's called every one of you to be an Abram in somebody's life. And what, what, what is the true measure of a friendship? Of a friendship? What is the true measure? Um, I would say whoever creates friends and friendships and relationships and all that, whoever created this whole thing, he gets to decide. Since that was Jesus, I think he gets to decide what a real friend is. And he said in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Lay down your life for your friends. <coughs> for Abram, he literally put his life on the line. Like Forrest put his life on the line. Sometimes you do that incrementally. Just a little bit of your life. Let me ask this, just before we come to the front. How long has it been since you put a little bit of your life on hold for somebody else? <coughs> How long has it been since you rolled out of bed to a phone call, you rolled out of bed and went and helped somebody after you were asleep? good friend of mine. He actually was serving as our youth pastor. We pastored some years ago. It happened to him. He got a phone call in the middle of the night. And I mean, he had been asleep for hours. He was out and the phone rang. He picks it up and somebody is broken down and needs, needs a ride. And that's not the most interesting part of the story because he thought he recognized the voice on the other end of the phone. And he said, who is this? And the voice said, it's Patty, your wife. And he said, no, it's not. You're asleep next to me. And he rolled over and she wasn't there. She said, I couldn't sleep. And so I decided I'd get up and go to Walmart and just do something done. And she got there in her car. She couldn't get a crank when she came back out. Let me tell you something, guys. If you wake up in the middle of the night and a phone calls from your wife and she's broke down, by all means, hang up the phone, roll out of bed, and go take care of that because that will be one you will never get over. But what if it isn't her? Jesus didn't say a man that will lay down his life for his wife or her husband. Because that's easy. You know, my wife doesn't have to ask me to come put gas in her car if she runs out of gas. She doesn't have to ask me. She just needs to tell me where she is. Let me get there. But the sacrifice is when a buddy calls. And I have to oh, turn off the TV. And get up. I'd already kicked off my shoes and gotten comfortable. How long has it been since you were the Abram who sacrificed a little bit of your life for somebody else? 
That's what God's called us to. Stand, come to the front, if you will. We'd like to close at the front, and I encourage you to come join us. We're just going to have a word of prayer and sing a final song, and we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Step on in and press in. Let's get everybody out of the aisles if we can, so we can kind of be all together in a, a good, warm, warm, fuzzy down here. Look around at the people standing around you. You know, these are the ones God has called you to. I know, I know, listen, I know the call of God is for us to reunite fellowship with Him. But you know, God loves us too, so much that He really wants to be with you. And if He didn't have something for you to do here on the earth, I think He'd kill you right now and take you home to be with Him because He loves you. He wants to be there. But He's got something for you to do here. You know who it is? Look, there they are. And outside those doors are the innocents. The ones, you see, you know a lot of these names. You know who some of these are. But out there are the ones you don't know the names. The ones we just have to say, the women and the other captives, because we don't know. We only knew a lot. We didn't know everybody, so we just had to write them. They're out there. We don't know their names. But God has called us to them. Here's what I'm praying for you tomorrow. <clears throat> now, I've, I say this sometimes, so let me explain what I mean. Is you don't have to, you know, if I, if I want to speak a blessing over you, you don't have to accept it. And say, well, I'd be foolish not to accept it. I know, but some people wouldn't want to anyway. But, you know, I'm going to speak something and you might not think it's a blessing. It's going to be a blessing down the road. And you can just, man, you can just wrap your arms up over your heart and say, I don't want that in me. God, don't you do that. I'm not accepting that prayer. You can do that. But I pray you just open your arms, you open your heart right now, and you accept what the pastor's about to pray over you. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit does that to you tomorrow too and reminds you when you're in the middle of a different crowd tomorrow at school or at work, you know, at the, uh, the work cafeteria somewhere, that the Holy Spirit quickens you to just look around and see all these people and realize some of those people are the Bubbas that you've been called, that you've got to go find. And some of you know their names and some of you don't. They're the innocent ones. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray God messes you up tomorrow. Would you, would, you, would you accept that right now? Would you just close your eyes with me? Jamie, go ahead when you can. She's going to lead us in a final song, but don't start singing until you finish praying.